All right, our scripture passage today is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. And when we get to the end, just a reminder, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. Just, if you're new, that's kind of how we roll, okay? You talk back a little bit, give a little firm hua, okay? All right. Okay, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. That same day Jesus went out to the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose... They were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for, but from the, um, but for the one, uh, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, "You will indeed hear, but never understand; and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull." And with their ears they can barely hear, and with, their eye, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, uh, what has been sown in his heart. And And this is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. He endures for a little while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we just saying, you have heard of the laws we break, but you hold the fire of your wrath from us and you send your son to a cruel tree. We are gathered here because you've taken care of our fundamental problem, and that is that we are lawbreakers. But you sent Jesus Christ, the law keeper, to be treated as a lawbreaker on behalf of us, that we might be free, that we might have salvation, that we might have forgiveness of sins, that we might be adopted as children, that we might be given the spirit, that we might be made new, that ultimately we might be heirs of the world to come, the new creation that's a guarantee 
because of what you've done through Christ. Father, we have many requests today. We're many sick this morning. We want to pray for them. Pray that you would bring healing uh, to those who are sick. I pray that also that you would help them not to waste their sickness. May it be a reminder of the fallenness of the world. May it be a reminder of the fact that this, this world is not our home. In fact, these bodies are ultimately not our final bodies. That you have promised for those in Christ to bring new bodies, resurrection, new creation, whole new world. And so may our failing bodies be a reminder of that and a, a way to strengthen our hope and to loosen our grip on this world. So we pray for the right perspective. But we do pray for healing, that you would bring healing, that you would restore. Pray specifically for Pat Sims this morning, who's sick with pneumonia, that you would heal him even today, that he would get better. Father, we pray for Mayor Anthony here in Abilene, that you would be with him, you'd give him wisdom, that you'd help him to lead well, that he would walk near to you and lead out of your principles. Pray for some of our partners this morning. We pray for the fellers, that you would be with them. Even this morning, that you would be encouraging them by your spirit. That their time in the word and their time in communion with you would be sweet. And regardless of how their day or week or month goes, that they would have the joy of you, the joy of the Lord, that is steady as a rock regardless of circumstances. We pray for continued favor in the language. Thankful for some ministry opportunities that they've had. And we pray that you would bless their month. Give them favor and fruit. Our feelings change. The culture changes. But your word never changes. And so as we come to it, would it be a steady anchor for our souls? Give us soft hearts this morning. Soften hearts this morning, we ask. We pray this through King Jesus, your son who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God. Amen. Well, if you're a guest, we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew together, and we're in chapter 13. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew 13, or if you want to borrow one of our Bibles there in the chairs, grab that. And what we've seen so far is how compelling Jesus is, haven't we, so far in this Gospel? Who he is, thinking about those early chapters of Matthew, who he is in light of Scripture, from his healing, every disease and every affliction, among the people to the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, his authoritative teaching. And some, we've seen so far, have received him for who he is, especially the pagans, the Gentiles. But others have rejected him and even accused him of being demon-possessed. Well, why the divided responses? Why such a mixed reception to such a compelling man and a compelling ministry? Why is this good news not universally embraced? Well, here in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus himself is going to explain why that is the case with what we know is the parable of the sower, but more accurately, it's the parable of the four soils. And so let's consider this morning the four kinds of soils, the purpose of parables, and then what this parable means. The main point I want you to see is that we must be careful to hear, receive, and obey the Word of God. So first, the four kinds of soils there. In the first few verses, we see that this crowd comes, and Jesus gets back a little bit. He uses the boat for a pulpit, and he teaches them a parable. First kind of soil is the soil along the path. Look at verse 4. 
Verse 3, a sower went out to sow. Verse 4, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. The ground had been walked on. It was hard, so the seed could not penetrate the soil. And then he secondly mentions the rocky soil. It's in verse 5. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Quick growth, but due to the rocks, the sun scorches it out. And third, we have the thorny ground, verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then fourth, we have the good soil, verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus tells the story of the farmer, the sower, and these four types of soils. And then second, we have the divine purpose of parables. Look at verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Let me just stop here. I wonder how you would answer that. Someone asks you, why did Jesus teach so often in parables? Here there's actually a lot of wrong teaching that comes to the fore. Many will say, well, parables are earthly illustrative examples to make the truth clear. Jesus is trying to help people understand. But what does Jesus say the purpose of parables is? It's probably the opposite of what we expect. Look at verse 11. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus says the disciples have been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to those outside, they've not been given the secrets. Well, what are the secrets of the kingdom? The the word secret, maybe your translation says this. It's actually the word for mystery, but we think of mystery. That's not what the Bible means by mystery. Mystery in the Bible means a secret that's now revealed. Secret doesn't mean a puzzle, but privileged information. It's divine revelation. It's not a puzzle, but privileged information. Information. The disciples have been given the revelation, the truth about the kingdom, and others have not. We've been given eyes to see and ears to hear. We've been given privileged information and access to the secret of the kingdom. And so notice this. Jesus says parables are meant to obscure, not to reveal, but to conceal. Not to make more clear, but to make less clear. So Jesus teaches the opposite of what many Bible teachers, lots of kids' curriculum teach. I think because it just doesn't fit in our box. But here it is. And Jesus says this too, like so much of Matthew, is actually to fulfill Scripture. And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6 there in verses 14 and 15. It's kind of hard teaching. Many Christians don't have a category for a Jesus who would seek to conceal himself from people, but that's exactly what he says here in verses 11 to 13. It's really what we saw just a couple chapters ago. Flip a page or two to chapter 11, verse 25. 
11.25, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. So here's a prayer of thanksgiving. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, these things of the kingdom from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father and no one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Here we see Jesus's particularity. He's praising his father for hiding the truths of the kingdom from people and revealing them to others, to little children. And so surprisingly, counterculturally, the divine purpose of parables is to keep some from seeing or hearing or understanding. It's what Jesus says just as plain as day. And Isaiah 6 said the very same thing. The varied response to Jesus in this day and in our day is not just a fact of life, but the purpose of God. He's chosen to enlighten some by grace, but leave others where they are. And Jesus says parables are designed to reinforce that divine choice. To you it has been given, but to them it's not been given. Now, we can zoom out, and there really are two ways we can respond to this teaching. Anger. Or gratitude. We don't want to be on the anger side ever. That's actually going to put us at odds with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is teaching the same kind of truth in Romans chapter 9. And he anticipates an objection in terms of God's sovereign choice and his particularity. He anticipates in Romans 9, 18. So then, he speaks of God's purpose. So then, God has mercy on whomever he wills. And he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then... Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? And what's the response if we respond with combativeness? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? We don't want to rise up and respond in anger because then we're put in our place. Who do you think you are? So we can respond in anger and be put in our place, or we can respond with gratitude, which puts us actually right alongside the Apostle Paul in grateful praise. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. That's how we want to respond in grateful praise, not anger. The divine purpose of parables is to conceal to some and reveal to others, Jesus says. Third, then, he explains the four soils. The seed, of course, we know it's the gospel, and the soil is the human heart. So let's see what Jesus says about these four. First, the soil that goes, uh, the seed that goes along the path. Look at chapter 13, verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his hearts. This is what was sown along the path. 
This is the hard heart. The word is spread, but we have an enemy. The evil one comes and snatches away the word. Satan and his minions, the principalities and powers, are real. In Western culture, we often think and operate just like atheists, like materialists, like there is no supernatural realm. But here we are. The evil one prowls around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And one of the ways he does that is by devouring the word before it can take root. This isn't the main point of the passage, but notice how Jesus talks about the kingdom. He says, the word of the kingdom. That's really important today because especially in Christian circles and a lot of books, teachers will try to say that kingdom work is anything, basically anything we do that's good. You know, so go dig wells, that's kingdom work. Go feed the hungry, that's kingdom work. That's good things to do, but kingdom work has to have word work with it. Deed and word in the Bible must always go together. It's not kingdom work if there is no gospel message. That's along the, the path, but then second, the rocky soil. Look at verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is the shallow heart. This is the one who comes to Christ but only endures for a little while. Right now, we all have names in our minds, don't we, of people who seem to be Christians for a little while and are no longer. The enemy's the cause of the first here or not hearing, but what's the problem here? It says tribulation and persecution. Come and then he falls away. Life gets hard. Trials are the test. And so many testimonies, people you know, friends, family that had once made a profession of faith and are now totally disconnected from the local church, you can ask what happened. Normally it's something hard happened. Some trial, well, my dad died of cancer and I got mad at God. Someone hurt me in the church. Some, something hard happens and there's really one of two ways we can go. The true flavor of the tea bag comes out when the heat gets turned up. Trials are the test. Will we move toward God or away from him? Trials are the test. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Notice what Peter says. 1 Peter 1, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Here's the purpose. So that. What are the, the purpose of various trials? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, here's the result, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Persecution's going to come, increasingly so. How will we respond? Will our faith be tested as genuine? Jesus says, when persecution comes on account of the word, the New Living Translation paraphrases it this way, they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. And this is really a new situation for us in America, isn't it? Just really in the last decade or so, or in some ways even since 2015. In America, we've hardly ever experienced persecution on account of believing the Bible. Those days are changing quickly, aren't they? 
I want to show you a quick cartoon. I've shown you this before, but I think it's really helpful. So America 20 years ago, I'm definitely not a Christian. And you got a couple guys over here, meh, and Christian. I am definitely a Christian. I honestly don't care that much about following Jesus, but it's socially advantageous for me to self-identify as a Christian, so that's what I do. America today, I'm definitely not a Christian. Man, went over to the other side. I'm definitely a Christian. Okay, so times have changed, and it's no longer socially advantageous for me to self-identify as a Christian, so I stopped. I'm on this side now. What the headlines say, dang, Christian. Pew Research says you're dying over there. There used to be two of you, and now there's only one of you. You should be worried. What the truth is, nah, there was really only one of me before, and there's still one of me. The mad guy just got more honest. (laughs) And oddly enough, I feel healthier than I have in a long time. This is going to happen increasingly. Persecution on account of the word is going to come and people will show their true colors. Meh, Christians will turn to the other side. And it's largely going to be around our belief of what the Bible teaches on human sexuality. As it becomes harder and harder to believe the Bible, we will see more fall away. A couple of chapters ago, Jesus said, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And so, friends, let's resolve to follow Jesus all the way. Let's never be embarrassed by even one syllable of the word of God. Let's resolve. Let's not be these people, the rocky soil people. They they flare up and fizzle out, quickly green, quickly gone. Often they acted merely on a feeling, just an emotive response. They didn't really count the cost. It's that Friday night church camp decision. It's that long extended altar call decision. This was me in high school, by the way. I was a freshman in high school and uh, totally living for myself. I got an invitation to go to uh, youth camp in Luters of Oka. And I was told there'd be babes in basketball. I was a very worldly person. I said, okay, I'll go. First night, really manipulative altar call, long extended. It's like, good grief, can this end? Okay, I'll come. Made a decision, filled out a card. There was no genuine faith. There was no genuine repentance. Praise God that he softened my heart four years later because there's a lot of friends of mine that made the same that are still walking for themselves, not trusting in Christ. Third, the thorny ground. Look at verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is the strangled heart. This is the conflicted heart. This is the divided heart. The word gets choked out. It proves unfruitful. Why? Not the enemy. Not trials. Worldliness. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. The cares of the world begin to nudge Christ out. Romans 12, too, we're commanded not to be conformed to the world. J.B. Phillips paraphrases that. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That's what it's trying to do every minute of your life. Hobbies, sports, entertainment, youth sports, bills, the lake, 
you name it, it's usually something that's morally neutral and it's usually slowly, but the cares of the world begin to nudge Christ and his people out. Begin to choke out what matters most. It usually takes a long time. Listen to the warning of James afresh. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There is this big, tall, sharp line between the church and the world, and there must ever be an antithesis. Listen to 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world's. And the world's passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Friends, we've got to be always. There's no, I wish it weren't so. Christianity's hard. There's no checking out. There's no reclining. There's no relaxing. We are always in active resistance mode. Do not be conformed to it. We resist the world. We stay focused. We're intentional. We're rigorous. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. This thorny ground here is the one who ends up putting the things of the world before the Lord. What's that another way of saying? It's breaking the first commandment, isn't it? Whatever, whoever we put before the Lord is an idol. The thorny ground ends up worshiping idols rather than Jesus. Interestingly, Jesus here, he quotes Isaiah to speak of those on the outside as those who do not see or hear or understand. Look again there at verse 14. Jesus says, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. And this is the way the psalmist in other places describe idols. Let me just read one for you from Psalm 115. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Notice Jesus is quoting Isaiah to speak of idolaters who have become like the idols they worship. Not seeing, not hearing, not understanding. We become like what we worship. Those who make them become like them. So here the word is choked out by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. I wonder if we think that way about riches, really about anything. There's no neutrality in the world. Riches, Jesus says, are deceitful. Riches will seek to lose you in. It's a part issue. It's fine to own riches. It's just not fine to be owned by them. It's always a hard issue. But we've got to be especially rigorous here in America, right, with its dream and its lies that he who dies with the most toys wins. Wrong. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 23, that only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom. Comparative standards, that's all of us. And so, again, we've just got to be on guard. We've got to have ears to hear. Riches are deceitful. They promise what they can't deliver. They oversell themselves because they want you to think they'll make you happy. 
Everything would be just fine if you just had a little bit more. That's the problem. It's always a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Someone asked Rockefeller one time, when's enough? Just a little bit more, he said. Family and I were watching Aladdin last night. And uh, maybe you've seen the scene where uh, he first comes out and basically the genie is warning him, hey, listen, don't go the whole, you know, most people have already decided power and money, but don't drink that cup. Trust me, I promise you, there are not enough riches and power in the world to satisfy you. Even Will Smith, the genie, knows better. <laughs> you know, it's been fascinating to me. I love the, the concept of happiness. And there's been a resurgence of study, partly because the world is so depressed and anxious, like never before. And so there's been this resurgence among secular people on how to be happy, cognitive well-being especially in the last decade or so. And study after study has shown that money's not the answer. Study after study. There was a class at Harvard. It ended up being the biggest class in Harvard's history on happiness. And one of the things they determined was that once you have a certain level of needs met, doesn't matter how much you add, it doesn't make you any more happy. And we should know this, right? Turn on the news. Money and fame do not fulfill. Jim Carrey said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Robin Williams, man, top of his, wherever you want to be, right? He had it all in terms of where he was. End of those lines. We could go on and on. Tom Brady's lost as a duck. This can't be it. He's the best there's ever been. And still he's looking for something. So many musicians, they have it all. Their lives are, the point is, they're deceitful. It's not going to satisfy. And it won't last. Jesus already said this, right? Flip back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. They will deceive you to build your life around them, and they won't satisfy, and they will evade you. 619, Jesus warns us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It's not going to last, but... Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then notice what he says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Proverbs 23, 4. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly, it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Riches are deceitful. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. The cares of the world are fleeting, and so we must be on guard because, again, we're all rich, comparatively speaking. And again, riches and the cares of the world do not immediately Remove the word. It's a process. It chokes it out eventually. What are you living for? Fourth, we have the good soil. Matthew 13, verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another sixty and in another 30. Finally, we have the good soil, the open heart. He hears and he understands and he bears fruit. 
And notice only one of four is good soil, giving us the sobering reality that there are a variety of ways to hear the word without benefit. The four soils. Let's consider seven implications from this passage. First, be grateful, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, for God's grace. Some cannot hear or see or understand. But look at verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear. And did not hear it. God has graciously revealed the secrets of the kingdom to you. As we sang, this was us all. I was an orphan lost at the fall. Running away when I would hear your call. But Father, you worked your will. I was in darkness all of my life. I never knew the day from the night, but spirit, you made me see. I swore I knew my way on my own. Head full of rocks and heart made of stone, but spirit, you moved in me. At your touch, my sleeping spirit was awakened. On my darkened heart, the light of Christ has shone. Called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Heaven citizen by grace and grace alone. So number one, be grateful for sovereign grace. No hope without it. Number two, we must persevere. Do you notice that language of falling away? Some respond positively for a season, but then they fall away. Does that mean that you can lose your salvation? That's a question many will ask. No. It means they were never genuinely saved. To begin with. How do we know that? Because they didn't persevere. How do we know? Because they fell away. Listen to 1 John 2, 19, one of the most helpful passages when it comes to falling away in perseverance. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. How do we know someone is genuinely saved? They remain with us in the local church. They persevere. The evidence of hearing the word rightly is that we bear fruit. We're changed. Oh, it's slow at times. I know that. We can't look like last month. Am I changing? No. Sometimes we can't even look last year. Am I changing? It's like watching corn grow sometimes. But we can look last three years, five years. Oh yeah, I'm growing slowly, slowly, but surely. I'm growing, I'm changing, I'm bearing fruit, I'm becoming more patient, I'm becoming more generous. My affections are kindled for the Lord. I'm serving. I love his word. I'm turning from sin. I'm turning to Christ. I'm seeing the fruit of the spirit in my life. Galatians chapter five, verse 16. I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Notice there's an opposition within. How do we know we've heard the word rightly? Now there's this war within. We hate our sin. 
If there's no war within, no opposition, we don't have the Spirit of God. When we have the Spirit of God, there's opposition, there's war. Some of you are like, you know what? I'm so tired of fighting my sin. How can I be a Christian? How can I actually be a Christian because I fight my sin so much? Friend, if you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't fight your sin. You wouldn't care. The Spirit of God is in you at war with your flesh. Notice what he says, verse 18. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, the idea is practice continually without turning, will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The only sure reception of the word genuine, the only sure evidence of genuine reception of the word of God is spiritual fruit in a person's life. Third, for ministry, our job is to cast the seed far and wide. Cast the seed far and wide. We don't focus on the condition of the soil as we're doing ministry, as we're doing, sharing the gospel, because we can't see the hearts. And even if we could see the hearts, and it was as stony or rocky or as barren as could be, it wouldn't matter because the Spirit of God can break the hardest of hearts in the farthest of places. Our job is to get the seed out. Fourth, I've lost my order. Next, as we do cast the seed far and wide, we're dependent upon God for results. Our job is to get it out, but we're dependent on God for results. This is so important for so many things. Listen to 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, there was a lot of problems, and one of the problems is this personality-driven, cult-like, pastor, celebrity pastor thing going on. Well, you know, I'm with Paul or I'm with Apollos or the Jesus Jew people. Well, I'm with Jesus. Well, notice how Paul confronts them. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. And so we cast the seed like crazy. We pray like crazy. And God gives the growth. Our job is to be faithful to the principles of God's word and to be patient. We want God's work God's way. Next, as we cast the seed, we should expect rejection. God's ordained it that way. We see it right here. People will reject the gospel message. Jesus quotes Isaiah here in this passage, and maybe you're not familiar with Isaiah chapter 6, but it's the famous missions passage. Let me read from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4, to give you a little bit of the broader context of what Jesus quotes. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal 
that he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. It's normally where we stop. Verse nine, and he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, how long, O Lord? Isaiah's like, hold up, I don't like this ministry assignment. And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. Friends, it's God's purpose that we're going to experience rejection. We persevere. And we're promised some will believe. Some soil will be good. Next, let us be those who listen with care. Notice the emphasis on hearing. Maybe you caught it. 14 times in 23 verses, we hear the word hear. And we hear the word through two main avenues. First, in our prayerful daily time in God's word. So if you haven't yet, set aside a time, find a place, commit to a plan, and hear the word every day. Second is the teaching and preaching of the word. Not only here, we've got the word going out all over this campus on Sunday mornings, and we have it here, in which is one of the most significant times of our week. I would say it is the most significant time of our week because here we gather as the people of God to submit to the word of God. And so pray. I wonder if you do this regularly. Pray for the preaching and teaching of God's word here, but as the, the Bible is going out in Sunday school and college ministry and students everywhere, everywhere the word's going out, do you pray for the teaching and preaching of God's word? We've already seen we've got an enemy who wants to keep people from hearing, and so we need to pray. Pray for us, pray for one another, pray for the advance of the word. Be prepared as you come in here. Hope we're seeing hearing the word is really significant. And how we hear. And so come into this place ready to hear. Read the passage ahead of time. We preach through books of the Bible. You know it's going to be the next 10 or 12 verses in Matthew 13, then 14, then 15. So be reading ahead. If you've got a family, read ahead. Read on Saturday night with your family. After the sermon, talk about it with one another. Talk about the passage throughout the week. I was so encouraged. Uh, we had a members meeting on Sunday. And if you're a member, please prioritize those. They're so encouraging. They have quickly become my favorite part of life at Southside. And what we'll do is we'll hear testimonies of new members coming in. And I was so encouraged by uh, one testimony in particular, Grace. Where's Grace at? Say, hey, Grace. Oglesby, where are you at? There she is. So Grace, asked Grace, what was one of the main spiritual influences in your life? And her answer was her parents, uh, but also a lady in her church back home who took the initiative to meet with her weekly, weekly to talk about the sermon. What if we were doing that all throughout the week? Here on Sunday mornings together, don't talk about the cowboys, talk about the word here. And then let it go out. One, one author uses the image of reverberation. 
So as the word here is taught and unpacked and explained and applied on Sunday mornings, that word then should reverberate throughout all the congregation, not only on Sunday mornings, but all throughout the week. That's what Ephesians 4 says. It's the structure of a healthy church. The ascended Christ has given gifts to his church in the form of pastors and teachers who are to equip the saints with the word through word ministry so that you will then do what? You will go and speak the truth and love to one another. That word continues to do its work each week. So come ready to hear, prayerful, prepared. Parents, if you got kids, encourage them to take notes. We offer these little note sheets here. You can find even better ones on Amazon. There's these little notebooks. Encourage them to take notes. Maybe encourage kids. How about this? Let me just encourage you. Come away with one main takeaway. One main takeaway from the sermon. Parents, you ask them. What was your one takeaway from the sermon? Take good notes. Hear with attentiveness. Next, six, I believe, yeah. Let's be 100-fold fruitful. Look again at verse 23 at that good soil. What was said on good soil? It's the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. Jesus here realizes there are some Christians that are going to bear more fruit than other Christians. And we've all got different gifts. We've all got different rhythms of life. But don't you want to be a hundredfold fruitful? I do. I want all the joy. I want a hundredfold. I don't want 30-fold. So I'm going to do my part, dependent upon the Spirit, to be a hundredfold fruitful. We all ought to pray. Whatever, whatever we're doing in life, God, would you use me maximally? Spirit, bear a hundredfold fruit through me. And then last, maybe you don't know the Lord here this morning. My encouragement to you is turn to him. You know, you don't have to stay on the outside. Seek understanding. Seek understanding by faith. You're here. You're here, which means the Spirit's already at work. It shows you're not of the hard heart. So if you don't know the Lord, turn to the Lord. Jesus has this amazing promise. Can you say, well, maybe, I, maybe I'll never understand. Maybe I won't hear. Maybe I'm one of those. No, no, Jesus has this promise. All who come to me, I will never cast out. That promise is for everyone here. All who come to me, I will never cast out. Or what he says in verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray together. Father, we find ourselves yet again thankful for your word, even though it's hard. Even though it goes against, in many ways, what we would want, if we're honest. But I pray that we would be those who believe that you are wiser than we are and that we would be those who don't seek to distort your word even the hard parts or the parts that don't seem to make sense to us but we would be those who submit to your word gladly glad submission and that we would renew our minds doubtless the world has infected our thinking and so would you help us to resist it and submit all of our lives to your word and I pray that there would be nothing but hearers here this morning Oh, God, don't let the enemy snatch away the seed this morning. God, don't let persecution drive us away. May it drive us to you. God, may we resist the world 
so that the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches wouldn't numb us and move us away. And I pray that we would have good soil, and I pray for lots and lots and lots of fruit in this room for our joy and for your glory. Pray it through Jesus Christ. Amen.